So the title of today's message is, Whose Are You? And we're going to be continuing in Romans chapter 8 this morning. We're going to be looking particularly on verses 5 through 17, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Uh, we're going to be spending probably most of the month of August in Romans 8, uh, just because there's just so much truth there, I couldn't fit it all into one sermon. And actually, several pastors who have preached pa- uh, Romans 8, just looking at what other people have done with it, um, one guy, had, I think, had 38 sermons just on Romans chapter 8. So you guys are going to get about four. <laughs> I can't split it up that much. But, um, but it, it, we have some awesome truth in here today that I'm looking forward to. So we're going to start out this morning by asking a quick question. How many people here are already exhausted with the year 2020? <laughs> Amen, right? I mean, this has been a year. Oh my goodness, I'm just exhausted with it already. It's like, can we get to 2021? Is it going to be any better? I almost feel like 2021, God's going to say, release the Kraken or something. I mean, that just feels like where we're going, doesn't it? I mean, it just feels to me, I'm 50 years old, and it just feels like one of the hardest years that I've ever gone through, Just not just in my personal life, but just as a country, as a society, that it just is exhausting to us. And there's a lot of statistics that bear that out. Most of you know I work in, in an emergency room as a, uh, now a training nurse and as a paramedic. Um, so we are seeing this even in the emergency room. The mental health statistics that we're looking at right now for the last six months show a 65% increase in depression, um, up to and including serious thoughts of suicide, including even having a plan to do it. That's one of the the hallmarks that we ask people. It's like, okay, we feel like ending it all. Do you actually have a plan? And then they go into this huge plan. That's a a huge suicide risk. And so we want to get those people um, help. So we're seeing a a huge increase, 65% in that. We see a 70% increase in drug and alcohol abuse right now. And most mental health hospitals, we, we have to board them in the ER for a couple of days because we can't find a mental health hospital to put them in. And this is throughout Wisconsin, Minnesota, actually the entire nation right now. Mental health hospitals are overflowing with people. And so I was asking myself the other day, as I was, I was helping somebody in the emergency department, I'm like, well, what happened to us as a people? I mean, we're Americans, America, right? We're tough. You can ask somebody from, over the sea, from overseas what they think Americans, you know who they think of first? The Marlboro Man sitting on top of a horse with a cowboy hat on. Tough, rugged individualism. That's what America's about. We don't need nothing. We don't depend on anybody. We're Americans. But now it seems like all of that is starting to crumble and go away. And I think what we're seeing is really what America has become and what we've kind of turned into. It's often been said that pressure can only squeeze out what is inside of a person. If you squeeze a grape, you're not going to get orange juice out of it, right? It's going to get grape juice. And when you squeeze a person, the same thing happens. What comes out of them is what is really inside of them. And 2020 has exposed what is really at the center of most of the people in this country. And some of it we've seen isn't pretty, and that's what's causing a lot of the anxiety in us today. So the question now is, who are we really? Who are we as Americans? Who are we even as Christians? 
And more importantly, whose are we? That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Whose we are, who's in control, and by what spirit that we are living by. And we're going to start off by reading the scripture from Romans chapter 8. James, if you want to come up, we're going to have him read that scripture from us. And again, that's going to be Romans 8, starting in verse 5. We're going to be reading, or James is going to be reading from the NIV. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their mindset on what that nature desires. But who <clears throat> live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. The mind of a sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are, con are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. Yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who was raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. <clears throat> because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba. Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. Amen. Thank you very much, sir. Great job. Let's pray. Father God, we just ask, Lord, that you take these words this morning and use it to judge the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. And I don't mean that in a negative way, not to bring condemnation, not to bring um, a feeling of guilt or not measuring up, but in order so that your word can mold and shape our hearts so that we are set free for you during this time in our nation's history. Lord God, use your word this morning to build us up and to make us into a people that proclaim Jesus in every way through our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. I ask this in your name. Amen. So, we're going to answer the question this morning, whose are you? Or who are you? And in our society right now, we have about a thousand different ways that we try to pigeonhole people or, or describe people. One of the big ones right now with the election coming up, we ask, are you a Republican? Are you a Democrat? Are you an independent? You know, which, which political way, uh, wing do you go to? Are you a Packers fan? 
Are you a Vikings fan? If so, we'll pray for you. Are you boycotting the NFL because you don't like them kneeling during the national anthem? That's a, a pretty contentious and uh, a thing that a lot of people like to argue about. Some people would ask you, are you conservative? Are you a liberal? Are you libertarian? Are you a lot of one, some of the other, and a little bit more of, of the third? Some people might ask you, are you a Christian? Well, if you're a Christian, well, what kind of Christian are you? Are you Protestant? Are you Catholic? Are you one of those red-letter-only, gospel-only kind of people that you think the rest of the Bible is nothing? We're just going to put, look at the red letters of Jesus. Some people say, well, no, I'm a Muslim. Okay, well, are you Sunni or are you Shia? Which one do you follow? Are you, do you take it seriously, or are you one of those fanatics that go, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, which, which one are you? Because I, I kind of want to know. Maybe you don't believe in God at all, or you're not sure, you're agnostic, you're atheist. Maybe you're really into social media, and that's what you kind of live your life for. You're always looking at your phone, you're always on your computer, you're really into Facebook. Some people will say, oh, I'm not into Facebook, I hate Facebook, I'm into Twitter. Twitter's where it's all at. Some people are use, even using this thing called TikTok now, and they, they, don't, they ignore the other two. Another way of pigeonholing people or, or, or getting them into a category. How many people are introverts? I would say two big hands up here for me. I'm an introvert. How many people are extroverts? That's why I married an extrovert. She's an extrovert. Are you male? Are you female? Are you a non-binary, fluid, non-cisgendered person? If so, you're going to have to explain that to me because I have no idea what that meant. With all these different ways of describing ourselves, is it any wonder why there is so much confusion of how we're supposed to think, how we're supposed to believe, or even how we're supposed to live? Is it any, or why does this, any of this really matter to us on church on Sunday morning? It is kind of important to us because our worldview and our mindset directly affects and is closely identified to how we see ourselves and how we act toward others. And what we decide this morning is an answer to this question. Not what are you, not which political party or psychological theory you ascribe to. It's that your entire reality now and in the future depends not on these earthly things, but on whose are you. Paul said it like this, that James read just a few moments ago. He said, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not toward the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you again a slave to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. I saw this beautifully illustrated this week. Uh, an adopted child um, told this story. He said, on the first day of class, the teacher was asking all the children in her class to describe their parents. Most of the class talked about what their parents did for a living. You know, my mom is a secretary, my dad's a fireman or a policeman. And, and they're going through the class and, and talking about what they did for fun or, and, and all of that. And one girl stood up and said, well, I don't know my parents that often because I was just adopted by them. 
And the teacher had this kind of awkward silence. She didn't quite know how to deal with the, the fact that this child did not know her parents until up, only until a few months ago. And, she, and so the, the teacher's kind of fumbling through it, and she asked, well, you know, what do you feel about that? She said, I'm the luckiest girl in the world. You see, all these other kids, their mom just grew them in their stomach for nine months. My mom grew me in her heart for two and a half years before I became her daughter. I thought that's a beautiful way to describe our adoption as sons and daughters of, of the Lamb of God. In this series, we've been watching The Chosen. It shows a scene in which Jesus calls Matthew out of his tax collector's booth. If you haven't been following it, you don't really know a lot about Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. I can't even come up with a modern way of describing how despised tax collectors were in his time. To be a tax collector means you had to turn your back on your nation, your neighbors. You had to be willing to basically go to the Roman government, get them in trouble, get them in prison, and all this so you can get rich. So the same Matthew was utterly and completely despised. I can't even come up with, with ways of telling you how hated he was to his people. Nobody liked him. Everybody really wanted to see him dead. So then Jesus walks past his booth. He's already called Simon Peter. He's already called Andrew. He's called James and John. And he's, they're walking past his booth. And Jesus stops and turns around and says, Matthew, son of Alphaeus, follow me. Well, you can imagine Simon Peter's reaction. Simon Peter hates this guy. I mean, what hates, as I said, almost too strong of a word. Or it's not too strong of a word. Just utterly hates this guy. And he's like, Jesus, do you know who this guy is? Do you know how much of a scumbag this guy is? He's, he betrays his people. He tell, tells on us to the Romans. I mean, how could, you, how could you do this? Do you even know who this man is? And Jesus looked at Simon Peter and he said, and looked back at Matthew, and he said, yes, I know him. And that just grabbed my heart, that even while Matthew was doing all of these bad things, Jesus could look at him and say, yes, I know him. Jesus from eternity past had been waiting for that exact moment to bring Matthew into his family. And that's how God sees you, with the same kind of love and compassion that Jesus had when he looked at Matthew. You could see the moisture in his eyes, the, the love in his heart. When he said, yes, I know him. And he declares, you are his. And that's why Paul uses that Aramaic word, Abba. It isn't translated just as father, but it's an informal way of referring to your father as daddy. It's intimate. It's familiar. And it is an expression that young children use to describe their father. They don't call them Mr. Smith or, 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 you know, Miss, or Sir or anything like that. It is simply daddy. And our daddy would like to remind us this morning. In Isaiah 43.1, he said, Fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. It's written in stone. 
It's not even written in stone. It's written in the blood of Jesus, who paid the price to make sure this reality is for all of us. Sorry, fire department. All you have to do is ask him. If you are his, and the scripture says you are his, then the question becomes, who is in control? Paul continues. Verse 5, he said, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. I'm a, I'm a Facebook fan of a man named Jocko Wilnick. I don't know if any of you have heard about him um, or read any of his books. He's a retired Navy SEAL commander. He was actually Chris Kyle's, the American sniper. He was Chris Kyle's commanding officer. So he's, you know, pretty big guy in, in the SEAL community. And he's, now he runs a business where he's a motivational speaker and he's a diet and exercise guru. And every morning he posts on his social media, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, his watch. And it always says right around 4.30 a.m. He wakes up at 4.30 a.m. to work out every single morning. He does that as a motivation for everybody else to get up out of bed and work out. I'm not sure I'm that motivated. Just saying. 4.30 is pretty early. Even though I wake up for 3.30 for work, 4.30 to wake up and go to, and work out, it's a little early. Jocko is one of these guys that's just incredibly disciplined and motivated to keep himself in top physical and mental condition at all times. And I do, I have a, a bit of admiration for him, what he's done in his life, the service he's given to his country, the fact that he went from kind of a, an enlisted guy, he rose through the ranks, became an officer, and... and up to a commander in the Navy. Uh, for the Army, that's like a lieutenant colonel. But you know what? That's where it ends for him. It all ends with Jocko. Jocko admits that he really doesn't know what to believe when it comes to God. I've seen interviews where people have asked him, he goes, I don't know. It's not a priority in my life right now, is what he would say. Or what, as he would say it, no factor. As, in other words, I'm just not even going to think about it. You see, Jocko's motivation is all about Jocko. And as much as I admire his discipline, as much as I admire his workout routines and his, his diet and, and his focus and self-motivation, I'm sure I'd say, and he'd probably agree with me, that it all comes from his pride in himself. And the Bible would call that self-worship. That's really what that is. It's self-worship. And worshiping anything other than God is idolatry. So we ask ourselves the question this morning when we look at our own hearts. Who is in control? The Bible says that those who live according to the sinful nature have their mind on what that nature desires. And a lot of people in the church now, we look at this world, and we look at the media, and we watch the news, we read the newspapers, and we wonder, when did everything go completely crazy? I've been given a lot of thought about this and why everyone seems to be super offended over what we would consider to be little things in the past. 
And we as Christians are not immune from this. We're not immune from, from getting the offended like everyone else. Whenever we let our guard down, that little slippery serpent thing that lives within us, that, that fallen nature wants to wiggle itself free and, and, and start havoc again. And the problem with us in the church being so puzzled about why the world is the way they were, why it is right now, where you can't even have a, a rational disagreement with people without somebody flipping out and screaming and getting completely offended at everything we say, and I look back on it, I'm like, when did this start? What happened? What happened, especially in the church, Lord? I know, I know the world's going to go crazy. The Bible says the world's going to go crazy. But why sometimes does it seem like that even within the church? It doesn't necessarily mean this church, but just the church in America in general. And God said, you know what? I think we started it. I think we fired the first shots here. And I, I'm thinking, God, how did we fire the first shots, and he led, he led me to think back. In the 1980s, we started this, pro, this uh, organization called the Moral Majority. And if you look back on it, back then, it seemed like a great idea. Pastors, all the pastors were behind the Moral Majority. We're gonna let everyone know what the church stands for by telling everybody what the church is against. We're against rock and roll. You remember all the ministries that rose up back in the 80s, 90s? Telling everybody about the devil's noise. Traveling minister making tens of thousands of dollars selling their books, their curriculum, everything else to churches to save the youth from the devil's trickery. We sure let the music industry know that they weren't going to get our kids. We also sounded off against drugs. Don't take that drug. Don't smoke the devil's weed. Don't do any of that kind of stuff. We took on the tobacco lobby. We took on Hollywood. 30 politicians. We took on abortion. And what happened? The secular music industry exploded with popularity. MTV became the most popular ch cable channel for over a decade. Drugs and alcohol use, even more prevalent. Hollywood putting out even more R and R plus and even pornography movies now. Politicians take even more money from corporate interests and listen, to what, and listen to their constituents even less. Abortions, man. Abortions increase to the point where in America today, we've killed between 60 and 70 million of our own children. 60 to 70 million. We say Hitler was a monster because he killed six. It's almost as America said, here, hold my beer. Let me show you I can do it better. We make Hitler look like a humanitarian. You see, the church, particularly in the 80s and 90s, tried to weaponize offense. And where we went wrong is that we as a church thought we could use the world's weapons and ended up making things worse and destroying our own witness in the process. And now, if you look at church statistics, we reaped what we have sown. If you were to ask somebody what's the number one reason why you don't go to church or why you left the church, what's their answer? Somebody offended me. Somebody offended me. Somebody said something, somebody did something, somebody didn't recognize me, somebody didn't talk to me, didn't shake my hand, whatever it may be. It was offense. And there was zero attempt at any reconciliation. You see, we in the church forgot we're all sinners saved by grace. 
Every single one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. I always feel like Paul when he said, I am the chief of sinners. Every time I, I talk about things like this from up here, I always feel that weight in my own heart. I am a sinner that desperately needs Jesus Christ, or I am lost and doomed myself. You see, we forgot that we are to live as if we are dead to our old selves and always extend love, mercy, forgiveness, and push our own pride out of the way. So I ask us, or I ask us this, who is in control? Who is in control of you? If you are God, His Spirit should be our first and foremost overriding source of peace and security and power in our own life and anything else rising up, especially that spirit of offense, especially that, that pugnacious spirit that wants to argue our own way all the time. And I can be as guilty as this as anybody. I like a good argument sometimes. I, I come back and I want to throw some verbal swings at people. I admit I can. this, this is something that I struggle with. But anything else I know that rises up within me like this is fleshly and is of the devil. Therefore, I choose, and I hope that we all choose, to be in God's control. Because if that is the case, then we should all have the Spirit of Christ. Going back to Romans, it said that the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now often when we hear messages like this and we start thinking, man, I kind of stink. I don't even know if I'm a Christian sometimes. And I don't know why God loves me because I just keep falling over my own feet, my own words, and my own actions. Why, why does God, God even put up with me anymore? I want you to stop for a moment and just wrap your mind around a thought. Because if you're able to truly believe this, truly incorporate it into your life, it's going to change everything. And that truth is this. The same power that reached down 2,000 years ago and raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that is available to you this morning. That resurrection power did not stop just to rise Jesus from the, or raise Jesus from the dead, but to save you and help you walk with him today. You just need to believe it. You just need to incorporate it. You just need to live it before this world. That means no matter how you've lived your life up to this point, if you allow yourself to die to all that other stuff that's holding you back this morning, that same power will reach down inside your heart and bring it back to life in Jesus Christ. This is an Assembly of God church. It's, it's by definition Pentecostal. This resurrection power means to live a spirit-filled life. And it's this not about speaking in tongues. You know, that's, that's what 
what marks Pentecostal churches that, that, we, that many of us will speak in tongues, particularly in our prayer. It's not about just prophesying. It's not about all this, this external stuff like dancing before the Lord or rolling on the ground or falling over when the pastor prays for you. That's not necessarily what it's about. I'm not opposed to that. If it comes, I want it to be from God. I'm not opposed from it. It has to do with how you walk before Him day to day, moment by moment. Pastor Ron, you know, he was my, kind of my spiritual father, raised me up in the faith. He used to always tell us, he said, I don't want to see a person falling down on Sunday and not right, walking right with God on Monday. He said, because then that thing on Sunday was fake. That's not what it means to live by the Spirit. It means that He is the one that is in control. So I'd ask you this morning, what spirit are you living in? Who's in control and whose are you? Let's just take a moment this morning and let God search our hearts.